when some people read the Bible, they'll almost never ever even go into the Old Testament because they reckon, oh, there's way too much judgment in there and, and not enough of God's love. And, and when people say things like that, I, I really find myself wondering, have you ever actually even read the Old Testament? Because as I read it, if you read the whole thing and you just keep reading it, what you find is a love story between God and his people, his chosen people. And, um, and yep, there's a little bit of judgment in there, but that's always as, because there's a need of discipline. Just like if I don't discipline my children, they'll end up unruly and off on the wrong track. Well, God does that with his children as well. But some people will never read the Old Testament. And often those same people will be very selective in even what they read in the New Testament. For instance, some folk will never touch the letters of Paul because, well, Paul has a fair bit of stuff to say about getting yourself right with God. He has a fair bit of stuff to say about how you should live the Christian life. And and sometimes what he has to say is a hard word, and I know it hits me pretty hard sometimes. And such people will often claim that, hey, I just stick to the teachings of Jesus because Jesus never judges and is always just, just um, he never condemns. Really? I mean, all of what we just read there was the words of Jesus. Verse 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Verse 45, The last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be for this evil generation. There's some harsh words there. And and that's Jesus talking to us. Not at all like the gentle Jesus, meek and mild that some people would like to portray. Jesus can be hard when he needs to be. So what's going on here? What's Jesus actually talking about here? I preface the the Bible reading by saying this whole thing, there's really four separate chunks here, but it's all talking about the one thing. It's all aimed squarely at making the very same point. And it's a very important point, and that's why Jesus drives it home four times in four separate ways. And here it is. When you are faced with Jesus... When you encounter the activity of God or the reality of God, each one of us are forced to a position where we must make a decision and we must make a stand. And that decision is, am I for Jesus or am I against Jesus? That's the two choices, that there's no middle ground. Am I for God or am I against God? There's no shades of grey. The Bible's very black and white. There's no half being a Christian. It's all in or all out. Do I really believe this stuff? When I hear about God, when I read the Bible, when, when I hear that um, Jesus died for me on the cross, well, do I really believe that Jesus died for my sins? Do I really believe that Jesus is coming back again and that when he comes he'll be judging the living and the dead? 
Do I really believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell? Do I believe that there is a God who loves me and gave himself for me so that I can be in relationship with him and be in his presence for eternity? Do I really believe this stuff? Let me tell you, if you really believe it, then you can't help it. You've just got to be in, boots and all. You're either a Christian or you're not. You can't sort of be a Christian. Just like you can't sort of be alive. You're either alive or you're dead. And the point is, God has made himself plain. God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And I'm either all in for Jesus or I'm against Jesus. God has given each of us everything that we need to to enable us to believe. But if I keep putting off that decision, if I sort of just keep dabbling in Christianity a little bit but really not committing to him, then I'm actually rejecting God. And if I reject God, then I will be condemned. So that's, that's what this whole passage is about this morning. Are you with me so far? Yeah? Well, I've started out by giving you the punchline. So um, do you want to know how we get there? Yep, you can all go home. (laughs) But let's have a look at at how each of these illustrations bring us to that same punchline. So the first illustration, Jesus healed a man who'd been oppressed by a demon. And now to most people it was pretty obvious what had happened. This was an amazing work of God. This fellow had never spoken in his life, but now here he was speaking um, and the demon had been cast out. Now to most people it was pretty obvious. Wow, isn't God amazing? Well, they actually said, can this be the son of David? All right, they're already starting to ask, is Jesus the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for? Now, that was most people, but not the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious leaders there, uh, no. Huh. It's by the devil that he does that. You know? oh, it's the prince of demons himself that does that. Okay, so here we have the obvious activity of God breaking into the world, the kingdom of God breaking into the world in supernatural ways. God himself was right there in their midst and the religious leaders said, he's a devil. I've seen that happen today. Not today actually, but in the world today. Some Christians will deny that miracles continue to happen. Some Christians will, when, when they see the activity of God, the power of the Holy Spirit at work, will say, no, that's not of God. Or say, that, that's just demonic. And I've got to tell you, there's nothing more sad than when God does something to free someone from the clutches of the devil and then the devil gets the credit for it. And Jesus said, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And of course it had. Jesus had come into the world and here was the start of the kingdom of God. But then he said something very pointed. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now that's a pretty confronting statement. And it forces you and I 
to, to ask ourselves the question, am I gathering with Jesus? Am I one of those who are gathering with Jesus? Because if I'm not, that means that I'm actually working against him. You see, there's, there's no middle ground. You know how your car, your automatic car, it'll have some forward gears and reverse gears and a neutral? In Christianity, there's no neutral. She's either forward or reverse. You're either working for God or you're against him. The story is told of a chap by the name of Ben Putnadoff. Some of us could relate to that name, Ben Putnadoff. Now, he knew that disciples of Jesus Christ were called to action, but somehow it just didn't seem to apply to Ben. And in fact, when it came to serving Jesus, he was quite indifferent. You know, he, he was a good citizen, he'd pay all these bills, he was a nice fella, he always tried to do the right thing, but been putting it off had been putting off active service for Jesus. In his indifference to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, one night he dreamed a dream. And he dreamed that he was arrested and charged with attempting to destroy Jesus' church. And when he fronted up for his trial, he heard the charges. Been putting it off. You are charged with attempting to put the church for which Christ died out of business. How do you plead? Oh, not guilty, Your Honour. I haven't done a thing. Guilty as charged, ruled the judge. By your own words, you have admitted that you have not done a thing, which is the fastest way to terminate the work of Christ. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now here we have these Pharisees. They, they thought they were, the, they, they were the good guys. right? They were God's representatives on earth. Like They, they did everything to the T. They read the Bible, the Old Testament that they had back there and they, they did everything right as they thought. But then when, when Jesus, God himself, came into their midst, they rejected him. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. And it's not only where you place yourself in your mind, like it's not only, oh, yeah, I'm with Jesus, yep. You don't only just have to satisfy yourself in your mind. It's what we do. What we really believe can be shown in our actions. Now, Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. I think that's what it means when Jesus said, I came to gather. Right? He came to seek and save the lost. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, guess who gets to work with him in that today? That's us. That's us. We are valuable to God. We are his hands and his feet in the world today. As disciples of Jesus, he calls us to gather with him. Now, that might, you, might, you might find very unworthy for that. I know I do at times. You might think, oh, who am I that I could do that for God? I, I, I couldn't possibly do any gathering for God. But you know what? You can. You don't have to be the world's greatest speaker or the world's greatest Bible teacher or Bible scholar to gather with Christ. 
We need to use our words. Narina told the story of the fruit. And what, what it was getting at there was the fruit leads to the words that come out of your mouth. Now, if you're accepting of Jesus and believing that in your heart, that's good fruit. And the revolt, result of good fruit will be good words coming out of your mouth. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. We need to learn to use the words that we have to gather with Christ, and any one of us can do that. You don't have to have a set spiel. Like, we've all encountered people who are really good at sharing, sharing the gospel, haven't we? Yeah? You don't have to be like them. All you have to do is share with them what's in your heart. If Christ is in your heart, good fruit is in your heart, good words can come out of your mouth. And these are the words that are valuable to God. How do you think a church grows today? Maybe a little bit by, by the preacher. Maybe a little bit by, by big fancy evangelists. But you know how a church grows most? It's when the people of God in that town start getting really excited about what Jesus has done for them and actually start using their words and sharing that. You know, you can invite people to church. You can have them home for lunch or dinner. You can tell them why you are a disciple of Jesus. And you might say to me, Michael, I actually don't know. But think about it. Why are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And your only answer might be, well, because I actually believe this stuff. Well, there's your words. Next time there's the opportunity, you say, share with someone, you know, I've been going to church, oh yeah, what do you find there? Well, I actually believe this stuff. I actually believe that Jesus died for me. Um, you don't have to know the, the 99 points of salvation or, or the chapter and verse of the road to salvation You don't need to know all this stuff or whatever is the latest fad at the moment for sharing your faith. If your only reason for being a Christian is because you love Jesus, how hard is that to say? I love Jesus and he loves me and I'm thankful that he saved me from sin and death. Tell them that. That's all it takes to be a witness for Christ. You know, we think that this is a hard thing, but it's not a hard thing. Just share what's in your heart. And that's all it takes to gather with Christ, to use your words for his glory. You and I, we don't actually convert anybody. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to share what's in our hearts, the good that God has put in our hearts. Now, this brings us to probably one of the toughest Bible verses in the whole New Testament. Um, it's what's sometimes called the unforgivable sin. Verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Has anyone ever read that and struggled with that passage and wondered what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is all about? I know it took me a long time 
until eventually it clicked what God was saying here. Let me simplify it for you. If I continue to reject the activity of God in Christ, I cannot be forgiven. You see, this, this is a statement of fact. It's a statement of logic. Jesus has said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. Who gets to come to God without Jesus? No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right. Now, if the only way to be saved is through Jesus, if I continue to reject Jesus, if I continue to to see the work of the Holy Spirit and say, well, that's not of God, and therefore I reject Jesus, I can't be forgiven. And so it's actually a statement of logic. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to reject the activity of the Holy Spirit and therefore not accept Christ, therefore I can't be forgiven because I'm continuing to reject the Holy Spirit. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that helps us to believe. And so if I keep rejecting God, if I keep rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, I'll never be saved. So it actually falls back onto me. It falls back onto you. It falls back onto each individual and whether we accept what God is doing or reject him. Okay, so that's actually first covered the first two illustrations. Yep. Let's move now on to the third. Verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Have you ever heard anyone wish for a sign? Oh, just give me a sign and, and then I'll believe. Oh, don't you believe that for a minute. Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. How often have you ever had it heard? Have you heard it said today, just give me a sign. If God gives me a sign, I believe. Every time I hear that, I think of a movie that I saw when I was a kid and... and um, and fellows choosing this course of action and, and then there's just there's the whole house just starts shaking and goes, no, 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 and things start swirling around and goes, oh, well, I must be on the right path. And, you know, just sometimes the evidence is plain there for us, but we're looking for more. When they ask for another sign... Jesus had already performed many signs and miracles and wonders in the midst of these people. For goodness sake, he'd just cast out this demon. He'd just um, enabled this man who'd never been able to speak before to be able to speak again. And yet still they would not believe. 
even when he rose from the dead, they still didn't believe. They then tried to cover it up. And it's the same today. We all get the same evidence. And for some of us, it's enough. What the evidence that God has given. God has revealed himself in Christ. Jesus has died and rose again. God is still active in the world today. God still answers prayers today. And for some of us that's enough. But for others it's not enough. And so they reject Christ. And so they'll be condemned on their own decision by their own rejection of Christ. Don't go getting discouraged if when you're using your good words, if when you share Christ, you might share your faith in Christ with 20 different people and nobody respond. Don't get discouraged by that. Maybe number 21 might be the one. The evidence is there. It's up to each of us whether we accept it or reject it. So we come to the fourth and final illustration from verse 43. Now this one's a bit of an interesting one because there's only 88 words here and 79 of them are the story and it's only the last nine that are the application. And a lot of us just read the story and we learn a spiritual truth from the story but we actually miss the whole point that Jesus is making because we don't then look at the application. Okay, so here's the story. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, okay, so when Jesus or or, or another Christian um, casts a demon out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return home to my house from which I came And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Alright, now that's the story. And Jesus is telling us a spiritual truth. And it's a very important spiritual truth. When somebody has an evil spirit cast out of them, they need to be filled with Christ. You don't, even need, don't only need to reject Satan, you have to be, receive Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit because if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that leaves the, the hole there in your life and you're open for more evil spirits to come in and you can be left worse off than you were at the beginning. Okay, you, you understand that spiritual truth? Now here's the application. So also will it be with this evil generation. Right? Jesus wasn't just telling us the spiritual truth. He was actually making a point here. For some in our community today, the appeal of Christianity could be its moral code. For others, it might be so that they can find some kind of meaning in their life. For others... Their hope is that Christianity might help them to get their life in order or to get their relationships right or it might help them to lessen their anxiety or it might help to to, to lower their loneliness um, or it might help to cut down on their depression. Now all of these things are true. These things happen. 
when you become a Christian. Lots of people have lots of different reasons for dipping their toes into the waters of, of the church. Of just, just having a little dabble in Christianity and going, well, is this going to be the answer for me? And for a while, some of these people might find a new order to their life. Some of them might get their relationships back on track. Some of them might have their anxieties lowered. They might get off the bottle or they might find value in, in, in living by these new moral values. But if that's all you've done, if you've just dipped your toes into the waters of Christianity, you're missing out on its true essence. The Pharisees had missed out on the true essence. They'd gotten their lives in order. They had things together. They lived good lives, but they had not filled themselves up with Christ. And you could see that in in the fruit that was coming out of them. They were rejecting God. They, they, They put down huge burdens for people to try and follow and carry that were just beyond them. They just lived by rules and regulations instead of by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. They had not filled themselves up with God. Let me tell you, there are no half measures to being a Christian. I know as a minister... Some of the saddest times for me has been preceded by a time of joy. When, when, when somebody new might start coming to church for a little while and think, oh wow, God's really doing something in these people's lives. But they're just dipping their toes in the waters of Christianity and they never get the true essence of it and they never commit to Christ. And then it's not long until they become less and less regular or they stop coming to church altogether. You've seen it too, haven't you? Yeah? Breaks your heart. Breaks my heart. Then, inevitably, what usually then happens next is is the people in the church, or often the church leaders, start to ask the question, well, what have we done wrong? What what are we not giving these people that that they need? Um, what can we do differently to make us more appealing to them? Maybe we need to have a counsellor on staff so that we can meet all of their counselling needs. Maybe we need to have more engaging worship so they'll want to stay and sing some more. Maybe we need to have a seeker-friendly service so that maybe things just aren't so deep and, 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 and they'll be more engaged. And yep, you can change the church. We could change this church and we could give everybody exactly what they want. Or we could preach the gospel. Be filled with Christ. Don't just dip your toes into the waters of Christianity and then wonder why it it wasn't the answer for you. You've got to dive in. When my family goes swimming or when we go skiing, me and the boys, we dive straight into the water and, and it's like, ah, <gasps> oh, oh, isn't this wonderful? And, and you just love it. There's an initial shock, but then it's, 
Wow, this is just great. But then there's another member of our family who will remain nameless to protect her identity. And she gets in ever so slowly. And, and she'll just dip, a water, dip her toes in the water. And, oh, oh. and sometimes she'll get as far as the ankles and go, oh, oh. And sometimes as far as the knees and go, oh, I, no, I'm not going to do it today. And she backs out. How are you, Jesus? Do you dive into Jesus? Or do you just dip your toes in the water? That's what Jesus is teaching us. Four different ways of driving home the same point. When you are faced with Jesus, when you encounter the activity or the reality of God, each one of us are forced into a position where we must make a decision and we must take a stand. Am I for Jesus or am I against Jesus? There's no shades of grey. There's no half becoming a Christian. It's all in or all out. Sometimes people will eventually get there by waning in ever so slowly. But often they won't. I'm very pleased that that nameless person isn't like that with Christianity. She dives straight in. I believe this stuff. Where are you at with Jesus? Have you just been dipping your toes in over the years? Or have you dived in? Now I believe if we're honest with ourselves there's probably a lot of us who haven't yet gone all in for Jesus. Is that you? And are you ready to dive in? What I'm going to do now is just going to have a little time for questions and then I want to give people the opportunity to say hey I'm diving in for Jesus. Or I've dived in before, but I'm diving in again. I want to be all in for Jesus. So, are there any questions? Is anybody wanting to pray, Hey Lord, I want to dive in. I want to put myself completely at your disposal. Lord, I've just been probably dabbling around the edges a little bit. But I want to commit to you fully. Does anybody want to pray that today? I'm going to pray that today. So as I say the words, you just say them along in your heart. Mouth them quietly to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you that Christ died for us. Lord, we believe that this is true. We believe that you loved us so much that Christ died in our place. We believe that Christ loved us so much that he took all of our sin upon his sinless self. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we praise you for this. Lord, today we want to say sorry because too often we've just dipped our toes in the waters of Christianity. Too often we've just said, well, Lord... I'll just go along a little bit and see if this is going to meet my needs. Lord, forgive us. 
But Lord, here we are today, here we are before you and we say to you now, Lord, I'm diving in. I'm giving myself totally over to you. Lord, envelop me in your love. Envelop me in your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give to us the mind of Christ. Lord, may the fruit that comes out of us be good fruit coming out of the good that's in our heart. Lord, may the words that come out of our mouths be words that that help you to gather. Lord, forgive us for when our half-heartedness has put us at odds with you. And Lord, give us the joy of gathering with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.